Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How is everybody feeling this morning? Yes, yes, yes. I have to tell you right now, my favorite side dish is my mama's sweet potato casserole. I don't care if you don't like it or not. I'm telling you, it causes fights in my family. And uh, I can't wait to get there. I'm going, we're going to Arkansas for Thanksgiving this week and excited to spend some time with family. My Razorbacks got beat by Alabama yesterday. Roll Tide, yes. But we had a chance. It was close. For those of you who don't care about football, you know what I'm talking about. It's okay. Well, listen, I'm so glad you're, gonna, you're here today. Uh, I want you to turn your neighbor. I want you to tell him to wake up. Wake up. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I got, I got some jet fuel flowing through my veins this morning. I'm excited for the message that God has for us today. And uh, this, this, every once in a while, there's a sleepy Sunday where y'all come in, you're a little sleepy, right? And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm preaching as best as I know how, and, and, and y'all just, I'm going to tell you right now, that's not going to work today, all right? because we got, some, we got some exciting things that God is leading us to today. And I'm just gonna jump right into it if that's okay. Is that okay? Thank you. We're starting off good. The title of my message today is Unleashed. Unleashed. How many of you have ever walked a dog on a leash? How many of you ever grew up like I did and you thought those people look stupid because dogs aren't supposed to go on leashes? I grew up in Arkansas, a couple of us. Uh, I grew up in Arkansas out in the country. And uh, man, when we took a dog for a walk, it, you know, we didn't, we didn't do leashes. That was for, you know, Yankees. We didn't do that. You know, where I, where I grew up, dogs could just kind of run and roam and sniff and pee to their delight. Um, you know, but I've since learned that when you live, you know, in more civilized places, that people frown on that. I guess to a certain extent, I kind of get it. Jessica and I, when we were in our first year of marriage, we lived in an apartment, we decided to get a dog. It was a purebred mutt. The very best kind of dog there is. And uh, we named him Bear because he was hairy like a grizzly bear. And uh, man, that dog was something else. He, uh, you know, we, we, we lived in the apartment, so we were supposed to take him out on a leash, you know, when he went to go handle his business. And, and we were good dog owners, um, not dog parents, because pets aren't people. Um, I just caused a church split right there, <laughs> right there. All right. You can have fur pets, not fur babies. It's not the same. Again, there's another church split right there. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, but we would take our dog bear, we'd take him to the park a couple times a week. And uh, man, what was so funny about that is anytime that we said any word that sounded like park, no matter where he was in our little apartment, he would stop like freeze tag. <laughs> and I wish I knew what he was thinking because his actions were hilarious. He would like... And I go, yeah, that's what I said. You want to go to the park? And then he would hop up. Ah, 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 ah. Like, I'm kind of embarrassed to be seen with you right now. And we put him in the car and the whole time he would do like this, like this high pitched, nervous shriek. We got to the point where he could see the parking lot and I'm the whole time I'm like, bear, sit down, shut up. In that way, they are like kids because you say that to both pets and children a lot. And uh, we get to the park and it was like, 
So he'd get out, you know, we had him on the leash, he'd get out and I had trained him, you know, he wouldn't take off and run. I trained him, he would, he would do the, you know, the thing where he would heal on the leash and we would walk together. But like his whole body, like, <laughs> just freaking out the whole way there. And we'd open the gate and he'd, we'd walk in and shut the gate. And I, I had trained him that once we get in the gate, he has to sit down because I won't take the leash off until he sits down. And so he would sit down and his tail would shake so violently that his front paws were having a hard time staying anchored to the ground. <laughs> and then finally I would unleash him. Boom, like a shot out of a cannon. I mean, he was gone. There was no rhyme or reason this way and that, zigzagging, running and sniffing and peeing. And my dog was a special kind of dog. I don't know if it comes with being a mutt, but he didn't just mark his territory with his urine. Number two also, weird. It was really funny when dogs would try to come mark it. He didn't care. It right on him. It didn't matter. But here's the thing. Like, I mean, he loved it. He loved, he loved being able to just run wild and run free within the confines of a civilized dog park with a fence. Here's the thing that always kind of cracked me up, though. It cracked me up. It was a, a, a test in humanity because it, it, it surprised me how many humans forget the nature of a dog. The dogs are pack animals, which means that when they get around other dogs, they're trying to size each other up. It starts with sniffing. It progresses to growling, and eventually it becomes a little bark and a little nip. That's the, that's the nature of a dog, and I was, I, I was like shocked how many times I'd be at the dog park and somebody, it was always someone who had a small dog who, no offense people, small dogs. I've had, you know, my family's had small dogs. I'm just saying there's a, if the shoe fits. <laughs> it was always somebody with a small dog and they would come up and they would go, you need to put your dog on a leash. Put him on a leash, shouldn't do that to other dogs. And it was moments like that where I'm like, Lord, just for like five minutes, can I not be a pastor? And maybe for five minutes, just not be a Christian and just say what I want to say. But the Lord never gave me permission to do that. But what happened is, is like we, we would forget that the nature of a dog is, is, is to figure out where it fits. It's, it's, it's hardwired into the DNA of a dog to figure out where it stands on the totem pole. And, and when, when things make us feel uncomfortable as humans and we want to try to leash them and pull them back and hold them back. And I wanna tell you that what we've been doing in this series is we've been trying to teach you what it means to be a minister. And so far what we've seen is we've seen that we've all been created for the purpose of being a minister and that becomes activated. We get promoted when we come into a relationship with Jesus. We've all been empowered by the Holy Spirit if we know Christ, that we can have everything that we need in every situation that we find ourselves in to be a minister. We've all been appointed a place and a people to minister to. And last week, we learned that God has prescribed a rhythm for us to live in so that we can do this thing of being a minister with consistency and with duration over the long haul. And all of it has been for the purpose of me trying to help you see that it is in your nature to be a minister. It's how God's wired you. And so today what I want to do is I want to give you one final teaching that I'm hoping and I'm praying will unleash you onto the world for the glory of God and the good of the world to help you see that every single seed of doubt, any thought of doubt, any shred of doubt that you have in your mind 
about whether or not you can be a minister is the work of the enemy to try to leash you and tame you from being what God created you to be. That's what I'm trying to do today, and I want to help you understand that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians 4. If you want to get ahead, all the type A people work ahead in class. 1 Corinthians 12 and 2 Corinthians 5 is where we're going to be today. We're going to be in all three of those for just a minute. What I want to do today is I want to begin to unpack for you to help you see that it has always been God's plan to use common, ordinary, unimpressive people to change the world for the glory of Jesus and the good of the world. It's always been his plan. That's always been how he worked. I wanna show you in Ephesians 4 how God has started, how he has organized and how he has designed the church to function. And what we're gonna talk about today when I talk about the church is, yes, we are talking about the big C global church, all of the churches in the world, but I'm also talking about this church, Discover Church. And so Ephesians chapter four is where we're gonna be today. If you're with me in Ephesians chapter four, let me hear you one time loudly say, Unleashed. There we go. Ephesians 4, it says this. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. All right, so let me stop right here. Right here, what he's doing is he is acknowledging and calling out the leaders of the church. Okay, here's what you need to understand. That every person who has ever been a leader in the church at any time, at any point in the history of the church has always been a common, ordinary, unimpressive person. And some of those common, ordinary, unimpressive people are called by God to serve in a leadership capacity in the church, to serve as a pastor or a staff member. Some of those people are called to be missionaries. Listen, can I tell you that that's my story? There's nothing impressive about me. I'm, a, I'm as common and ordinary and unimpressive as they come, but God has called me to serve in this capacity in the church. And here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that there would be people who are hearing me today that would begin to pray about whether or not God has called you as a common, ordinary, and I won't call you unimpressive, but a person to serve in a leadership capacity in God's kingdom, either serving on staff at a church or perhaps maybe going to be a missionary. You go, I don't want to pray about that. If I pray about that, God will send me to Africa. Maybe. But man, can I tell you, if God's calling you to Africa, it's going to be a whole lot better for you there than anywhere you can find yourself here in the confines and the comfort of suburbia. That's how God works. And I'm praying that there would be people in our church that someday we would hire to join our staff team, that we would someday send out to go help launch new church campuses and launch new churches, and maybe someday be able to send out to go be missionaries. I don't know. We'll see what God does. But I'm praying that God would do that within the, within the DNA of our own church. But this is how God operates. And so what God is doing is he, yes, there are some people he's called to serve in a leadership role, but not everybody's called to serve in that leadership role. He goes on to say, now that he's called out the pastors and the leaders of the church, now he's gonna give us our job description as the, as the leaders of the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You see, this is my job description that at, 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 the, at the core of what Jesus has called me to do is to equip the saints. That's anybody who has been saved by Jesus to equip you for the work of the ministry that God has called you and wired you for. When I say that you are designed and wired and created to be a minister, God, God is assuming that you're going to come to the realization of that and begin to walk into that. Here's the problem. Far too many churches do not operate with the pastors as this is their job description. Instead, far too many churches operate from the perspective that everybody believes it's the pastor's job description to be the only professional Christian in the church. And everybody comes in like at a sporting event and they, 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 they come and they take their seat and they cheer the pastor on, they cheer the staff on, say, you go get them, go get them, I sick them. 
right? And then, and then we give the professional Christians some money to help them in their professional Christian work. And I just have to tell you today, that's not how God designed the, the, the church to operate. That's not what God intended for us. That's not what God intends for you. Next, what he's going to do is he is going to help us understand, which before I pass on to that, let me also say that here at our church, this is the reason why we're so passionate about you getting involved in the Next Steps course, because it is, it is one of the primary ways where we help equip you for the work of the ministry God's called you to do by helping you discover what your purpose is so that you can understand what it means to go make a difference. That's why we put so much value in that because that's us trying to do what God's wired us and called us and given us the job description of doing. Next, I want you to notice what's gonna happen. If, if the staff of the church does their job and if the rest of the church does their job, which is being a saint, doing the work of the ministry, then what you're gonna see is a description now of what happens when the church functions like this. If you have a pen, I want you to underline some of these words as we go through them. Because he continues in this verse, verse 12, that for the edifying of the body of Christ, this word edify literally means to build up. It literally means that, that, that when the pastors and the staff of the church equip the saints for the work of the ministry and the saints are doing the work of the ministry, then the church is is built up. It's healthier, it's stronger, and it's more effective in what it is that God has called the church to be and what God has called the church to do. He goes on to say, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That when we, when the church operates this way, it creates incredible unity because now we're no longer unified just on personal preferences. There's a mission, there's a vision that we are all sacrificing to see happen so that more people can know Jesus and live on, on mission for Jesus. Then we become unified in that. And the petty things that so many churches divide over, go away. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. What he's saying here is that what happens when the church functions like this is that the church and every person in the church begins to grow into maturity. Means that you no longer walk around as a lot of people do, and I don't, I don't, this sounds harsh, I don't mean it harsh. Um, it's a part of the maturation process that in the same way that children are inclined to be gullible and believe things if someone in a position that seems like they have authority says that something is so, even though God not, never said it so, then a child will be inclined to believe that it is so. And what God wants us to understand is that his desire for us is that we don't walk through our lives like children being tossed around by all of these funky, janky, whacked up, jacked up teaching of people who proclaim to be followers of Jesus, but are preaching and teaching things that don't line up with the word of God. And what God's desire is, is that we can have a maturity in Christ when we function the way that the church is designed to function, that we can begin to have discernment and go, listen, I love you, man, but, but that ain't right. Let me take you to the word and tell you what the word says. Because if you are positioning yourself in opposition to the word, then we're going to have some serious conversations about how much time I'm going to spend taking your wise counsel. Because I'm questioning how wise it is if you're going against the word of God. He goes on to say, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now there's several things I wanna, I wanna highlight here. I want you to notice how he talks about for the growth of the body. I'm sorry, he talks about the whole body. What he's doing here is he's talking about the metaphor of the human body. 
And we're going to dive into this a little bit more depth in just a second. But this is a common metaphor that the Bible paints for us to help us understand what the church is and how the church should function. Okay, And that in the same way that there are, are many different elements to our bodies, we are all still part of one body. Okay, we're gonna, Like I said, we're going to dive more into that in just a second. But I also want you to notice that he talks about for the growth of the body. When we operate like the way that God has designed the church to operate, that he's describing here in Ephesians chapter 4, then what happens is, is, the, is the body grows. And what I mean by that is that the body grows, yes, in its maturity, that what we just talked about a second ago, but the body also grows numerically. Now, this poses a problem for a lot of people because sometimes people say, well, I just don't like that the church is growing so much. Listen, can I tell you, if you hang around here long enough, there's going to be a time where you are going to come to church every Sunday and see a whole lot of people that you don't know because the church is growing. There's going to be a time where we're not just, we don't have just a couple hundred of people in church that we've got a couple thousand people. I know that sounds weird and that sounds crazy, but that's where God is leading us someday in his time. I don't know when. And the reality is, is I've met so many people who, who started with a church in this season of the church and rode with the church for a long time. And now they're reaching all these people and they start feeling uncomfortable because I don't know everybody. Can I tell you the, here's the deal. God wants his church to grow, not so that we can obsess over how many people we have in in the building. He wants his church to grow because he wants those of us in the building to be obsessed over how many people are still outside the building. Because God wants us to be obsessed not with how many people are currently on their way to heaven. He wants us to be obsessed with how many people are not yet on their way to heaven. That's what God wants for his church. That's what he wants for his people. But I, I want you to make, I want to make sure that we don't miss this, this, this part because, because what we see on Sunday, right now in this moment, when we're all gathered together, we get to worship together, we get to dive into the word together. This, this, this oftentimes is what most people think of when they think of the church. I want to be very, very clear. This is not the church. This is the gathering of people who for one reason or another, because they have experienced the power of Jesus or because they've got questions about who Jesus is or because somebody loves them and invited them to come check out this Jesus thing, they have come into a gathering where they can worship Jesus, they come into the presence of Jesus, they can dive into God's word together for the hope and the intent of leaving the gathering so that we can be changed by Jesus, so that we can walk out of the doors of this place and go be the church by shining the light of Jesus into the dark places of the world. World. That is the church. The building is not the church. Sunday morning is not the church. The church is a people. The church is a collective of individuals that are scattered and dispersed across the city throughout the week for the purpose of sharing and showing the love of Jesus so that people can come to know the love of Jesus. That is the church. That is what Jesus has called us to be. And I want you to notice this little thing that's tucked away in here in the, in, in the midst of this verse. It says that the effective working by which every part does its share. This is critical for us to understand because the church works best when every single follower of Jesus recognizes that they have a role to play, 
The church works best when every person shows up ready to play their role. And Jesus assumes that if you belong to him, that you are going to come or have already come to the recognition that yours is no longer an observing role. Yours is a participating role. And God's desire is that you would step into your participating role to be a minister, as common or unimpressive as you feel that you may be. This is what Jesus desires for his church. And if nobody has invited you into that, if nobody has taught you the incredible invitation that Jesus is extending to you today, that you can, in the midst of all of your hangups and mess ups and, and, and jacked up past with all of your issues and insecurities and your brokenness, that he can choose to use you and he does choose to use you to advance his name and to reach people all across the city and all across the world so that you can be a participant, not just an observant, in the incredible story that he is writing to change the lives of people and to redeem and rescue the world. That is his invitation to you. This is what he wants for you. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna, I wanna try to make this as practical as I can. And so I wanna give you two areas, two ways that God calls every single follower of Jesus, every minister to serve. And the first point I want you to write down today is this, is that every minister is called to minister to the church. Every minister is called to minister to the church. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and let's see what God's word says. For as the body is one, so here we pick up again this metaphor of the human body. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in the fact, the body is not one member, but many. Here's the first thing that we need to understand today, that the power of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, eradicates and breaks down every barrier that humans try to build. Every barrier of race, every barrier of gender, every barrier of political status, every barrier of socioeconomic positioning, every barrier that humanity has ever attempted to create, to classify, to categorize, in some cases to marginalize, in other cases to demonize different individuals and different groups of people at the foot of the cross, all of humanity is united in the reality that we all need Jesus. And so at the foot of Jesus, there is no slave, nor free, no Greek, nor Jew. God has created us and we're all beautifully different. But what God wants us to understand is that nobody is more deserving or more needy of something than anybody else is. The text goes on to talk about and breaks down. I don't have time to work it all out, but he goes on to talk about several different parts of the body. I want you to take just a moment, uh, uh, amuse me for a second. I want you to take just a moment. I want you to think of a body part. Think of your body part. All right, you got it? Now, I don't know what body part that you just thought of. I just thought of a thumb. I don't know why I just did. And here's the deal. Opposable thumbs is part of what sets mankind apart from every other creature in the world. Right? Because we've got thumbs, we can do stuff that almost any other animal can't. Now, here's the deal. I'm really thankful for my thumb. But if my whole body was just a thumb, there would be a whole lot of other things that I could not do. 
The text goes on to talk about the significance of the eye and the ear and the nose and the hand and the foot. Every single one, a different member of the same body and every single one connected to the other members of the body. And everyone has a unique purpose and was designed on purpose, for a purpose, so that the body, the human body could be everything that God intended for it to be. And what I've been trying to teach you through God's word in this series is that you have been designed on purpose, for a purpose, so that the church of Jesus, so that Discover Church could be everything that God intends for it to be in our community, to shine as brightly as possible, to help as many people as possible, and to bring as many people to Christ as possible. And every single one of us are designed with different gifts and different abilities. If the whole church was made of a bunch of people who was wired just like me, it would be a very odd place because we would just be arguing about who's in charge. And we would be fighting over who gets the mic. And if everybody in the church was wired just like you, well, then there would be a whole other set of issues. But what God has done, when we come together as a faith family, when you choose to identify and associate yourself with a particular church body, what you're saying is, is man, that's my church home. It's not just the place where I go to attend church. It's the place where I connect with people. I feel like I'm part of the family. I'm a member of the group. And and because I'm a member of the group, because I'm a part of the group, then there's something God has wired me for that that church needs. I like to say it like this, that there is somebody in our church that needs to be ministered to by you because of the way that God has wired you. And there is somebody in our church who is wired to minister to you in a way that nobody else can because they were wired to minister to the need that you have. That the church of Jesus, that Discover Church, is, a, is an interconnected, interwoven, codependent organism, living, breathing being where we provide and we take care of one another. Notice what it says when it goes down in verse 20. But now indeed there are many members yet one body, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. He's saying, listen, you are individually brought into the collective whole of a bunch of individuals that makes up the body of Christ. And every single one of you is a part of that. You have a role to play. So when one person suffers at Discover Church, everybody suffers at Discover Church. When one person at Discover Church is honored, then all people at Discover Church are honored. But there's a critical nature that we understand that when we, when we don't do our part, it creates schism. It creates division. It creates unnecessary burdens that some are having to bear because there are some within the church that are not stepping into their role, stepping into their responsibility and stepping into the opportunity that God has given them to help them live for something that matters, that makes a difference, that fills their tank in a way that nothing else in this world can. Each person has something that someone else needs. And the call for us as a church is to minister to one another. And this affects us in the ways that we pray for one another, the way that we connect with one another, and the way that we help one another carry each other's burdens. You see, because so many churches operate not from this biblical prescription, 
but they operate from the perspective and the belief that, well, the pastor's job is to take care of it. The staff's job is to minister to everybody. Then what it, what it creates and what it fosters is this idea that the church then is most healthy when the pastors or the staff are the ones that are doing the majority of the ministering. But I'm here to tell you that the body is not most healthy when the pastors or the staff are the ones who are ministering to the body. Now hear me, the pastors and the staff better be ministering to the body. If at any point me or the members of our staff are no longer ministering to the body, then their employment here is going to come very short. But the primary job description, the way that the church is most healthy is not when the pastors or the staff are ministering to the body. The body is most healthy when the body ministers to the body. When we minister to one another, when we care for one another, when we serve one another. Let me give you an example. Every single week, we have a rotating number of about 50 people that serve on our dream teams that help make church on a Sunday morning happen. Now, that's a different group of 50 people every week, but on average, we have about 50 people serving every week. It's incredible. These are people who are serving because they believe that God has wired them and gifted them in an ability to be able to serve the church, serve the mission of the church and serve the great commission that God gave the church by using their unique gifts and talent and abilities to be able to minister to the church. Some do it by standing on a stage and playing an instrument. Some do it by... Um, running a soundboard. Some do it by, by, by helping with kids. There's all kinds of ways that people in our church serve every week, not because they have to, but because they get to. And we don't recruit people. We don't get people to serve because we need you. We recruit people to serve because we want you to accept the invitation of knowing that you can be used by Jesus to make a broader impact on the world than what you could do on your own. So when every member of the body does its share, the church functions properly. Everybody can be healthy and everybody can be well. But we have an issue. And this is gonna sound a bit sharp and I mean this in love. I'm gonna say this as delicately as I can, but there are people that are hearing me preach this message right now that you belong to Jesus, you know that you're saved, you would call Discover Church your church home, but you have not yet accepted the invitation by Jesus to be a minister within the church body. Because of that, we have issues where there are people who are struggling and people who are suffering. Because there are people who serve four, five, six, seven weeks in a row on a dream team. Again, not because they have to, but because they see opportunities for people's lives to be impacted and changed by using their gifts. And they see that nobody else is stepping into that opportunity. And so they take on the responsibility. God, you wired me and created me for that. I will go serve in that opportunity. I will go serve in that place. And what that means is, is that many of them serve in a capacity where they're not able to sit in and experience worship as a church. They're not able to experience the preaching of the word together as a church. They're not able to be able to feel like there's a sense of connection with other members of the church because they're serving in the church. I just want to tell you something, church, this is not healthy. And as much as I want to reach people in our community who don't know Jesus, here's what I believe with all of my heart, that the more effective we are at serving the body, the more effective we will be at reaching our community. If we are not effective at serving the body, 
then it doesn't matter how many people come from the community who want to know about Jesus, who have an addiction that are wanting to know if there's hope for them, who have a relationship that's busted and broken and on the, on the, on the verge of devastation and destruction that are just wondering one last hope, one last chance for God maybe to show up in their life where there are people with, 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 with financial issues and relationship issues and emotional issues and physical issues that would love to know, God, are you there? Are you real? Do you really know me? Do you really love me? Do you even really even care? If we cannot minister effectively within the walls of the church of ministering amongst ourselves, then it does not matter how many people from outside of the community come in, we won't be able to take care of them. We won't be able to minister to them. Now, here's the deal. I hear often, I hear so oftentimes, well, I don't, you know, I'm just, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if God can use me. If you're here, if you belong to Jesus, then you absolutely can be used by God and God wants to use you and we wanna help you know and connect the dots of how it is that particular thing that you're interested in or good at can be used for the greater purpose of God's kingdom and so that you can see how God can use you. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you're a man here today and you're not serving, man, I would love to tell you about an opportunity that you could have to play a role in influencing a generation of strong, faith-filled, God-fearing young men who don't yet know that Jesus loves them and doesn't yet know what it means for them to be able to grow up and to be a strong, confident, godly man. And we have opportunities for you to serve right now in Discover Kids where you can step into the lives of some young boys and show them an example, some of which don't have great godly examples, of what it means to be a godly man and what it means to serve and what it looks like at, at five and eight and 10 years old to consider the things of Jesus and to know about his love and hope for them. Do you love seeing people have an encounter with Jesus and see their lives forever changed by him? If you do and you're not serving anywhere, I'd love to invite you to serve on our setup or teardown team. Can I tell you this? Every single Jesus moment that has ever happened in the history of Discover Church has been made possible exclusively because those who serve on the setup and teardown team. Because without them, we're just sitting in a, church, in a school. They're the ones that turn this school into a sanctuary where people can encounter God. And so if you've been blessed, if you've been ministered to by the worship or the preaching or something else, don't thank me. Thank our setup and teardown team because without them, it doesn't happen. Maybe you're here and you go, hey, I love that. I love to see people's lives changed by Jesus, but you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't really know that I can do all that heavy lifting. Then won't you consider joining on our usher team? Because what our setup and teardown team do to create the physical opportunity, our ushering team does to create the environment where people feel seen, they feel connected, where we try to make sure that there's no invisible people when they walk into the auditorium. And we try to create an environment and eliminate as many distractions as possible so that every single person that walks through the doors of our church can have a true and genuine encounter with Jesus. You see, God can use you. And what we wanna do is we wanna help you connect the dots. Listen, if you're hearing me and you're not serving, I love you. My relationship with you does not change based on whether or not you do or do not serve at the church. But because I love you, I'm desperate for you to see how God can use you to have an impact beyond what you think is possible. And if I can, just for a moment, I wanna speak to the men 
Man, I don't know if you realize it or not, but God's word tells us that he's called us to lead. Man, God has called us to be the example in our community, the example in our homes, and to be the example within our churches. Men, if you're here and you consider this church your home and you're not serving, I'm challenging your machismo. If there's any part of you that wants to see your marriage be more godly and your wife grow closer in her relationship with Jesus, if there's any part of you that desires to see your children or your grandchildren know Jesus and walk with him and you're not serving the church, then I wanna challenge you to realize that the most significant investment of a couple hours on a Sunday is not in creating the space for everybody to come over and watch a football game. The greatest investment you can make on a Sunday morning with a couple hours of your time is to invest what God has given you with your time, talent, and treasure, invest it into the move of God through the work of the church by serving the church and creating opportunities where more people can come to know Jesus and be an example and be a leader and go first and say, listen, our life is not leveraged on what we can, what we can hold in our hands or what we can live in with our home or the places that we can go. Our life's value comes in what we give away so that there will be more people in heaven when we get there. Man, I'm challenging you to be the leader that God called you to be and to step up and go first and to serve. Why? Because every minister is called to minister to the church, but every minister is also called to minister to the community. 2 Corinthians 5, one of my favorite passages of scripture starts in 17, says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know what this means? It means that everyone who would say, as you're listening to this and say, yeah, man, that preacher just doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know what I've done. If he knew what I had done, he would not be asking me and challenging me to serve. Let me tell you the power of this verse because what this verse is God saying, if you have been born again, if you've been made spiritually alive, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done, that those things are not the hindrance whereby I can use you. Those things become the platform whereby I can use you because your story becomes your testimony of the power and goodness of my son, Jesus. You have no reason to be ashamed and no reason to say I can't serve because of where you've been and what you've done. It goes on to say in this in verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. If you have a pencil or a pen, I want you to underline the word ministry of reconciliation. I'm gonna talk about that in just a minute. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Basically what he's saying is, is God is, when someone is in Christ, he no longer holds us accountable to the things of our past and our sin. He, he now has reconciled all of our past with the reality of Jesus and the power of his blood to forgive us of our sins and the, the reality of their empty grave, which gives us the power to be made new. And he no longer imputes or holds us accountable to who we were and what we did. He now holds holds us accountable to who Jesus is and what Jesus did. He goes on to say, verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. So when we are his ambassadors, God is through the megaphone of our lives pleading with the world around us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God 
in him. Do you understand what this means? See, I think there's a lot of people who go to church every single week that don't understand the power of what these verses have just proclaimed. Because what this means is, is that God saw us when we were at our absolute worst. God saw you when you were in the deep, dark pit, when you were doing the shameful thing, when you were doing the thing that you swore you were never gonna tell anybody ever about. God saw us when we were in that moment and instead of being moved by anger with a desire to bring wrath and judgment upon us, he was instead moved by compassion and love and sent Jesus to the earth to rescue us out of that pit, to die for our sins and to give us an opportunity to be made new. And when we place our faith in Jesus, what happens is that now we are no longer who we used to be. We are no longer all of the things that labeled us and described us and defined us that in the power of Jesus, we've been made new. We've been given a new slate, a new beginning, a new future, and an opportunity to be something that we were never before, all because the power and the grace of Jesus. And what God wants us to understand is that the power of Jesus in our lives was never so that we could just experience it and have it and hold it and hoard it and keep it to ourselves. No, he has called us to be ministers of reconciliation. And he says, now you are my ambassadors to the world. And what that means is, is that in the same way that light shines through a crystal and, it, and the light goes through the crystal and it catches every imperfection and every edge and every jaggered piece, but it, it shines through it and it creates a beautiful kaleidoscope of colors that, that, that fascinates our eyes and captures our imagination. This light, the bright shining light of Jesus shines through our lives and it catches every hang up, every issue, every imperfection, every busted jacked up thing you ever did. And his light is so great and so powerful. It shines through that to the world and it proclaims a story. It doesn't matter who you were, where you've been or what you've done. The love of Jesus is so great that he can turn anything that is ugly and he can make it beautiful. And what he calls us to be as his ambassadors, as his ministers of reconciliation, is to be the prism whereby the love of Jesus can shine through and tell the story of his grace. And it's a story that begins like this. Let me tell you a story about a man who knew everything I ever did. And instead of getting angry at me, he loved me. And instead of declaring me guilty, even though he would have been perfectly just to declare me guilty, he said, I forgive you. And instead of turning his back against me because what I did was so shameful and so wrong, he instead turns his face to me and opens his arms to me and embraces me with his nail-pierced hands and says, I died so that you don't have to carry the weight of this any longer. This is what Jesus does with our lives. This is why you are qualified to be a minister. Because your qualifications were never about who you are or what you can do. It was always about who Jesus is and what he's already done. And as we live this way as a minister, what we will see, what you will see, you will begin seeing things that you've never seen before. As the light of Jesus shines through you, as you embrace the call and the invitation to be a minister, as you go into different places looking for opportunities to minister to people, what you will begin seeing through your life 
as you will begin to see people surrender their hurts and their past and their pains and their scars and their disappointments to Jesus, not to you, they're not gonna surrender those things to you, but as you tell them about how Jesus worked in you, they will become familiar with Jesus and what he's capable of, and they will begin to surrender those things to him. And then you will begin to see he's gonna take away all the things that were against people, and he's gonna give them a fresh start and a new beginning. And when you begin to live as a minister, what you will experience is you will see lives saved, addicts recovered, relationships restored, all because you the common, the ordinary, and by somebody's standards that has told you and lied to you that you have nothing of value to offer, the unimpressive chose to say yes to the invitation to be a minister. In the church world, there's a lot of things that we make a big deal of. One of the things that the church world likes to make a big deal of is when somebody gets ordained. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear if you grew up around church, um, they make a really big deal about that. And sometimes they'll say, I grew up in the South. So usually you didn't just say, I've been ordained. You say, I've been ordained for gospel ministry in the name of Jesus. Usually everybody goes, amen. And what happens is it's, ordination is, a, is an interesting ceremony. If you're not familiar with it, let me explain it to you. It's a process where when somebody feels called to be a minister, to be a pastor, to be a missionary, um, they go through a process where it's kind of a, a, it's a confirmation process really where they meet with um, some mature followers of Jesus and, and they, they kind of grill them on some theological things. Do this, does this person who feels called to ministry, do they know the Bible? Do they know what God's word says? Can they, can they rightly tell the difference between truth and error based on God's word? Then there's a process where they kind of check under the hood and check, check your character and check your integrity and, and trying to see, is this person, are they striving to orient and organize their lives around, somebody, around Jesus and his teachings? And when it's all said and done with, they go through that process and then eventually they'll bring them up in front of the church and, uh, and, and there's an ordination committee and, and the committee will kind of be up there and basically the pastor will preach a message and say, you know, this is this person and I'm, we're ordaining him and he's proved himself, uh, you know, to be capable and to be able to rightly divide the word of God. And we've, we've measured his life that he's consistent with, with trying to, not perfect, but trying to orient his life around the teachings of Jesus. And so we're gonna ordain this person today. And then it closes usually with a bunch of people kind of gathering around him and, and putting their hands on them and, and praying for them. And when it's all done with and the praying, then, then officially they're ordained. And oftentimes they'll be given a certificate of ordination. And this word ordained, it's just a, it, it's kind of a, a fancy way of saying sent out with authority. In the early church, we saw people do this when they would send people to new communities and new cities to start new Jesus works. They would lay hands on them. They would send them out with authority. And these are good. There's nothing wrong with these ordinations. There's something that's really beautiful about it and it's appropriate. There's something about ceremonies in general that are really poignant for our lives because what a ceremony does is a ceremony marks a moment. A ceremony creates a big deal out of something so that somebody knows that something significant has taken place. What I believe that God would want you to hear today, what I believe that God would want for you today is for you to experience an ordination of sorts because you are a minister.
if you belong to Jesus, if you've been made spiritually alive, you are a minister. And I don't have any ordination certificates, but I do have something I wanna give you. I'm gonna ask your ushers to come. You guys, if y'all would come and start passing these out. I wanna hand something to you that you can take and you can have it. My hope is that you'll use it. My hope is, guys, just start passing them out. My hope is that you'll use it. My hope is that you'll put it somewhere that's readily available. We're gonna have a little bit of fun with this, but we've had some car air fresheners made for you. And the reason why is two things. Number one, I'm hoping that you'll hang it on the rearview mirror of your car. I'm hoping that every moment that you get in your car to leave your home to go somewhere, that there is somebody there who needs somebody to minister to them. And when you get there and you find somebody who would normally reserve certain things for pastors, pastor, would you pray for me? Pastor, would you, I want want to share something with you. I've never told anybody. Pastor, would you, what does God's word say about this thing in my life? What I want to help you see is, is that in those moments, they don't need a pastor. What they need is a spirit-filled follower of Jesus who recognizes that they've been called to be a minister And when those situations come up that you would not say, you know what, that's really good. Let me call my pastor. Pastor Jerichins, Jerichins, Pastor Jay. I got somebody I'd like for you to meet. I'd I'd like to introduce them to you because they they have some questions. They need some help. You know, I heard a pastor say this one time. He's been in ministry for 30 years. He said, I... I have found that there are really only four times in life when someone needs a pastor. When you're dedicating your baby to the Lord, which is different than salvation, when you get baptized, when you get married, and then at your funeral. Can I tell you, I would argue that you don't need a pastor for any of those things either. What you need is a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. Well, pastor, what's your job then? I told you it was at the beginning of the message, Ephesians chapter four. And as I'm doing my part, I promise you, I'm gonna minister with you. I'm not too big for my britches. Although I did find a massive hole like this in the first pair of britches I put on today. (laughs) I was late to church today because I was like, (laughs) I'm creating a list. Somebody saw that and didn't tell me. You're welcome. <laughs> Brian said, I texted Brian, I'm gonna be late today. He said, man, one of our values is to keep it real, man, just rock that junk. I go, mm. Thank you. I probably just offended somebody's sensibilities. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen to me, church. Our God has a great calling on your life. Our God sees you, created you, wired you exactly the way that you are so that you could minister to people that I never could. And God has brought us together as a faith family 
so that collectively we could do more together than we ever could apart. So when the opportunities to pray for somebody comes up, I hope that you'd be inspired by this thing that you saw in your car before you got out of it and say, you know what? I'm the minister here. I can pray for you. When somebody's looking to talk to you about something that they've not talked to anyone else about, it's going to be a little awkward. It's going to be a little weird. Listen, I've been doing this for 15 years. There are some times where people share some things with me and I'm like, oh, okay. As odd as it seems, Lady Gaga is running through my mind. Poker face, poker face. When somebody is looking for wisdom or advice about what they should do with something, you don't need a pastor. You need the spirit of God who has already promised to be with you in those moments. You might need the word of God and you might need Google. And when somebody that you know, someone that's close to you just needs some help with something, don't, don't do this. You do it. No, no, no. You're the minister here. You do it. Pastor, why'd you give me an air freshener? I'll tell you why. Y'all remember the commercial from several years ago, the bitter beer face commercial? Some of y'all, yeah, I know I'm talking about beer in church. Get over it. Right? Like the, I don't like beer. It's disgusting. I don't know how anybody drinks that nasty mess. That's just me. No judgment. I gave you an air freshener because the problem is, is there's a lot of Christians who go try to be a minister, but they do it in such a way that it puts a foul aroma in the senses of the person they're trying to minister to. And what I want you to know is that you, as a follower of Jesus, are his ambassador. That means the way that you live, the things that you do, the way that you connect and care, the way that you talk to people, the way that you treat people, it all reflects on Jesus. And I'm giving you an air freshener because I'm hoping that it will be just a little reminder that as you get out of your car and go to wherever it is that you're going, that you would be mindful that you carry the presence of Jesus. Philippians or Colossians says that it's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. Everywhere you go, Jesus is with you. And that the people that you interact with, the people you connect with, that there would be a sweet smelling, pleasant aroma, that you would be a breath of fresh air. Whatever it is when you roll over from the pillow and you say, good morning, baby. The opposite of that is what you would be to every single person that you come in contact with at your place of business, in your community, at Starbucks, at Hy-Vee. When you're sitting in traffic and somebody cuts you off. You see, here's the deal. As a minister of Jesus, as his ambassador, God has unleashed you to go be a minister to the world around you. So church, I am not the minister here. You are. And I join you in that work. So leave here with this understanding that the world needs you. All of heaven is behind you. So go be a minister. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. 
If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.